Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode of SFF Yet is sponsored in part by our All the Books podcast yet. Have you listened to it yet? On All the Books, Book Riot resident Velocireader Liberty Hardy and several rotating co-hosts, including today's guest Maria Christina, discuss the week's most exciting and intriguing new book releases from every genre. You can stay up to date on the best new books with new episodes every Tuesday and get bonus episode recommendations for older books every Friday with the all the backlist drop-in. Never miss the buzz on the best new releases. Listen to all the books on Spotify or your podcatcher of choice. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 55, and we are recording a little bit early again on May 29th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Maria Christina Garcia Lynch, and we are coming to you from Book Riot, and today we're going to talk about military sci-fi and fantasy. Hello! Welcome! Thank you. Glad to be here. Yes. So excited to have you here. You're usually on all the books. Is that right? That is correct. And we have often talked to each other off the record about sci-fi and fantasy. (laughs) So this is our first time getting to talk about it on the record. I'm very excited. Me too. So let's see. Before we get into our news and whatnot, our first sponsor is Magic for Liars by Sarah Gailey, whose name you might remember. They are the author of American Hippo, which we talked about a lot here at Book Riot. Super fun. Um, and this is sponsored by the publisher Tor Books and is about Ivy Gamble, who is a detective born without magic and, you know, never wanted it. Perfectly happy with her life. Totally fine. Doesn't in any way wish that she was like Tabitha, her estranged, gifted twin sister. Mm, That's a lie. (laughs) (laughs) So when a gruesome murder is discovered at the Osthorne Academy of Young Mages, where her estranged twin sister teaches theoretical magic, reluctant detective Ivy Gamble is pulled into the world of untold power and dangerous secrets. She will have to find a murderer and reclaim her sister, all without losing herself. This sounds fantastic. I'm always here for a magic school novel. And this one is from an adult POV, which is a nice twist. So sort of the magicians plus some Tana French investigative noir. And Gailey is a Hugo Award winning author. And this is their debut novel. Mostly been doing novellas. So that's an interesting new development. And it is a standalone for those of you out there who are not ready to pick up another series at the moment. It's all by itself. So you don't have to worry about that. And it has received a lot of praise, uh, including from author V.E. Schwab, who calls it sharp, elegant, and compulsively readable. And Booklist has said there's something for almost all readers here. Gailey shows us that humans are humans, even when they are magic, and they are still flawed, damaged, and oh so interesting. So this sounds like it's definitely in my wheelhouse. And if it is in yours, you should check it out. It is Magic for Liars by Sarah Gailey published by Tor Books. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. All right, Maria Christina, what news item would you like to talk about first? Oh, I am just itching to get your read on the new Picard teaser trailer that we just got recently. Yes, yes. Yeah. I so I will confess that I grew up watching Next Generation, but Voyager and Captain Janeway are the Star Trek nearest and dearest to my heart, as it were. And but not to say that I'm not excited about this. I am torn because CBS All Access would be yet another subscription. I have watched the first few episodes of Discovery and really liked them and wanted to get more into it, but I've just been trying to hold out against having yet another 
X dollars a month subscription <laughs> in my life, and they are making it very difficult for me. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't think this trailer. I didn't think I was going to be that interested in this show as much as I love Patrick Stewart. And then I watched the trailer, and I was like, "Well, shoot! <laughs> like maybe I do need to see this. It's very intriguing." And and I do agree that this may be the tipping point for me too, yeah. uh, because I just you know we're we're cord we're cord cutting household over here. We don't have a cable subscription. But but we do have a Netflix subscription, and then eventually we got a Hulu subscription. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty much one thousand percent sure we're gonna wind up with a, a Disney subscription whenever that streaming service unrolls, just because we've got a preschooler in yep. <laughs> in under our roof, um, and and the CBS All Access. Even though I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling less and less like the whole streaming model is a solution to pricey cable subscriptions. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm I'm gonna end up getting CBS All Access because I I can't say no to Sir Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Is Next Gen your Star Trek? It is. It is the it is the one that I grew up on and even though I watched subsequent ones, there's there's never been one quite like it for me, especially because it was it was something that we watched as a family. My mom was was really strict and she, it was very much you can only watch PBS. And Star Trek the next generation was the one thing she made an exception for because mm. she had a crush on Commander William T. Riker. <laughs> so she would be like, okay, we're we're watching the next generation. Like every week, appointment television. <laughs> it's it's educational. <laughs> it is. Oh, I love it. I love in, it. That's in lots amazing. of different ways. You oh, know, yes. like there's there's art and there's yeah. There's science, quote unquote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I it's just it is it's getting harder and harder to resist and i know that discovery for example you can now i think you can rent it from itunes for example and which is great and i would i'm it you know but the value proposition it's like uh do i pay for that or do i pay for the subscription if there's other things i want to watch it's very it's it is getting harder and harder to resist it i don't know I, i i'm also nervous about this though because Obviously, Patrick Stewart is amazing. And yes, obviously, agreed. Jean-Luc Picard is a beloved character. But there is, there's so much potential for disappointment here. It makes me nervous. Yeah. And it's one of those reboots where you you definitely understand the draw of revisiting it because it's so beloved. But you also, that the same thing that makes it an asset makes it a liability. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. You're exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, there's so much there's so much weight and so much expectation on it. Like how ooh, how are you going to live up to the to the expectations I, of the fans? There are lots of expectations and already you could see on Twitter the the reactions to the trailer. That's been something to watch. Yeah. Um, people who are just like the the trailer is mostly Captain Picard walking through his vineyards, uh, which which you may remember from the series finale. Uh, they flashed forward to uh, an older Picard mm. who had just decided to focus on winemaking and people on Twitter are like, you know what? I, whatever this show is going to be about, I would, I would actually rather just see a show about Captain Jean-Luc Picard making wine. Yeah. I would not hate that. Not, I would not hate that either. <laughs> Oh, well, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. I guess we will see because I, I'm probably going to have yeah. to subscribe. Yeah. Maybe we can get like a communal book riot <laughs> subscription. <laughs> I mean, we will be totally legal and above board. <laughs> okay. And and it's a write-off. Yeah, there, there you go. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, speaking of trailers that we're excited about, I am so excited about the trailer for Terminator Dark Fate. I am a huge Terminator fan of the earlier movies in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some later ones that I am not as big of a fan of, but especially the first two, I feel like, are just so iconic. And to me, this trailer seems to be headed in that direction or maybe that's just wishful thinking whatever i loved this trailer are you how is your how how are your terminator feels 
definitely aware of the Terminator franchise and I've seen snippets of it, but I'm I'm a real squeamish person. So it's it's the type of thing that that I watch from behind my my hands and <laughs> and I can't I can't really sit there enraptured by it, but I love the story and the characters and it's something that I will look up whenever a new movie comes out. I will look up the plot of it and talk about it with people, even though I, I haven't seen a movie all the way through. I just <laughs> I know myself and I cannot handle it. It's it, there's a lot of body horror and and a lot of gore in the Terminator franchise. Yeah. It's yeah. true. It's and, true. And I'm legit squeamish. Like I have passed I have passed out before oh from, from seeing something that was just a little too much for me. So Woo. so it's I will I will read about it. I am not going to sit there and watch it necessarily though. So I'm excited for this because I want to see the next installment in the story and I'm thrilled about the characters that are coming back and the characters that they're introducing, but it's it's probably going to be one of those things where I watch it at home and I tell I tell my spouse, okay, um, I'm going to leave the room right now. Let me know when it's okay for me to come back and yeah, watch it. Yeah, legit. That is a legit choice. Um, I probably will go see this in the theater. I, I, I remember I was following the casting news for this and I remember when they announced that Mackenzie Davis was going to be the new Terminator and I was very like, really? Like her? Like, are you <laughs> sure about that casting? But she looks so amazing and yeah. I really loved the dynamics between her and Linda Hamilton returned with her giant guns, like both <laughs> both literal guns and her biceps are giant. It's it's amazing. <laughs> and and then Natalie Reyes, who is new to me, but who like makes a very compelling case for herself in this trailer. She is the she's the new person that everybody's trying to protect. And I just loved what I saw of the interplay between the characters. And it is a much more diverse cast than we've gotten in previous installments. Yeah, that's really exciting. Yeah. So I just am so I'm so hyped for it. I just am so excited, which could be dangerous. I could be very <laughs> sad when it actually comes out, but I don't think I'm going to be sad. I think I'm going to love it. I, I mean, Linda Hamilton is so iconic in this role and I'm so excited to see her return to it especially as an older woman in Hollywood you don't get to see very often it's the same thing with with Picard where you've got you've got Patrick Stewart and it's so heartening to see that he is is spry enough to commit to doing a series at at his age but but with men it's something that's more common to see the older elder guy on screen in a featured role and with women it's so so few and far between especially in an action movie like you just don't see older women in action movies pretty much when you see younger women being derided as mary sues and stuff like that like you know seeing an older woman is at least they can't say that she's green no (laughs) they really can't nope she's gonna she's gonna you know kick ass and take names it's gonna be amazing I will watch I will watch it in the theater just for her if I'm being completely honest. So so I'm really excited about that. If you haven't watched the trailer yet, I highly recommend it. Schwarzenegger will be back. Haha. Ha. Uh there's there's a moment of his face in the trailer, although we don't get any lines, but uh but yeah, it's, it looks like it's gonna be fun. So so that is my story about that. Um what should we talk about next? Ooh, we have to talk about the Nebula Award winners. Yes, those recently were announced, and it was such a good nominee slate this year. It was. I would have been happy with any of the winners, but but I am really happy with the, the winners that we got. Yeah, I have. I confess, I haven't read the winning novel. It's The Calculating Stars by Mary Robinette Cowell. And I have been hearing about it from various people in my life, both Book Riot and outside of it, for since it came out. I mean, everybody who I've talked to has loved this book. It is on my list. It's on my TBR pile. I will get to it at some point, <laughs> hopefully sooner rather than later now that I now that it has won a nebula. You know, it's, it's on my TBR pile, too. And um, I think it was 
was I saw on, on Twitter this week Alexander Chi saying something about how TBA, TBR piles are basically when someone says you're at the top of my TBR pile, it's like, oh, I'm at the top of your ambivalence list. <laughs> um, so it's, Ooh, it's, it's, it's funny because it's true. I know, I know. But this one is is on the top of my my ambivalence list just because it is the beginning of a series that hasn't been completed yet, and mm. and you know it you have to be in a certain mind frame or at least i've i've found that i do in order to commit to starting a series that hasn't been finished yet but but you know the nebula award that's a that's a huge vote of confidence for me so i i feel like i this is one that i may may end up getting invested in before the final volume is published yeah i ambivalence award is too true and yeah i i feel you i mean the most famous series of our times is like maybe never gonna be finished so, yeah I, I, you, you know, know. I, you, it's a little little thing you may have heard of yeah but, yeah um, yeah george r. r martin you might have heard his name uh and that is just causing all kinds of like sturm und drang and angst amongst the fans so i feel yeah. you i do feel yeah. you <laughs> uh let's see novella though i have read it's the tea master and the detective by aliette de bedard who i adore her work so much and this is part of my favorite of her work she's done a bunch of different kinds of things including like angels and magic in france and like you know ancient aztec murder mysteries and this is part of her shuya universe which is basically like if the vietnamese went to space and had an interstellar space empire it's pretty amazing and she plays with all kinds of cool things in her books, uh, in her science fiction. I'm such a big fan. She's been on various podcasts before. You might have heard me raving about her or to <laughs> her. But anyway, I was really delighted to see that The Team Master and the Detective won for Best Novella. And if you have not started reading those yet, I cannot recommend them highly enough. They're so fun. And they are, they're all connected by the universe that they're in, but they do kind of stand alone. Like you don't, it's not a strict series reading order in my opinion. I think they're better if you've read them all, but I think they can be sort of picked up and put down. So, That's good to know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and the YA oh, award. Yes. Yes, the Andre Norton Award for Outstanding Young Adult Sci-Fi or Fantasy went to Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi, which is a very strong Book Riot favorite. Yes. Got rave reviews. So many people. And I I feel like this is in your wheelhouse because comics. The <laughs> Ray Bradbury Award for Outstanding Dramatic Presentation went to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, the screenplay. Yes, and I was, I was really excited about this whole category just because they... One of the nominees was an episode of The Good Place. It's the one titled Jeremy Barramy, which is, you know, the Good Place world's version of Tiny Wimey with right. Wally. Um, but I was I was really gratified that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse won because of of all of the many Spider-Man movies there have been. That one's, I, I gotta admit, is my favorite i love mm. spider-man into the spider-verse and you can actually read the screenplay online it's not like a bootleg copy or anything oh wow they they actually released it and the interesting thing about the screenplay is in in the description of of the way that they want the scenes to look in the screenplay and, and the action that's happening they will name drop actual comic book artists which is so cool to see and and uh, if you are familiar already with those artists, then you'll be able to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can see that in in the movie if you've watched that, too. But also, if you are unfamiliar with those artists, go look them up. And, and if you enjoyed Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, you may find your way to other comic books that related artists have worked on. So it's it's a it's a great film. That's so interesting. I don't know that I've ever seen a screenplay. Have I ever seen a screenplay? <laughs> I was just going to say like done like that, but I don't know that I've ever seen a screenplay period. So I clearly have to watch this. Preeti has been on my case to watch it for forever. She's uh, the number numero uno Spider-Man fan slash now Spider-Man author. I know. She's yes. canon now. She is canon now. It's <laughs> so exciting. And she was the one who made me watch Spider-Man Homecoming. I confess I'm not 
a big Spider-Man fan, generally speaking, but I did love Spider-Man Homecoming and I have loved Tom Holland's turn as the character in the Avengers movies. So I am now like cautiously re-entering the (laughs) Spider-Verse as it were. And I know I need to watch this one. I do know. I think I will love it. I just, again, it's on my, it's on my ambivalence (laughs) list. I will get to it at some point, but I will try to bump it up because now I'm really curious about this screenplay. We'll, we'll drop a link into the show notes to that as well so that... Y'all can find it. Um, well, that's exciting. Very exciting. Uh, speaking of awards, let's talk about the Shirley Jackson Awards. Ah, yes. The Shirley Jackson Awards. These um, are are voted on by a jury of professional writers and editors, critics, and academics. And it's, it's intended to recognize outstanding achievement in the literature of psychological suspense, horror, and the dark fantastic, which is what Shirley Jackson was all about. Indeed. Indeed. And we've talked about previous award winners like Victor Laval, for example, uh. has won, I think, more than one Shirley Jackson Award, <laughs> potentially, um, and is one of the few horror fantasy authors that I will read. Because <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I recommended that that book to my spouse, Jonathan, and I'm like, you're going to love this. And he came back and he's like, it freaked me out so oh, much. So this scary. is like, 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 this is, he, he was, it was the um, it was the biggest bomb I've ever had recommending a book oh, just whoa. because it really disturbed me. Was it The Changeling? Was it that one? It was The Changeling. Yeah. It was The That's Changeling. That's a tough book to read, A, if you're a parent, and B, yeah. if you exist in the technological world. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. All of my laptop and tablet cameras now have tape over them yeah. because, of, because of that yes. book. So, and I'm a wimp, like in the way, I don't know that I've ever passed out necessarily from being scared the way that you have from squeamish. I can handle blood and gore, but I, I will have nightmares if I watch too many like horry, scary, suspensey things. And like ever since I was a kid, it's been true. And so I am the person like covering her face, you know, <laughs> and responding to every jump scare. And even in books, sometimes it's too much for me, although I do a little better than with movies. But but Sharifa is our resident horror expert, and I know she's she's read and is excited about a lot of these authors. And so right now, it's just the nominees. The actual awards will be presented in July, so you have time to do some reading. Um, some names I recognized in the category of novel... Daisy Johnson, who is the author of a short story collection called Fen, which I did read and loved and which creeped me right out. Um, her novel, Everything Under, which I haven't read yet, is up for an award, as is We Sold Our Souls by Grady Hendrix, who wrote Horror Store, which is the Ikea catalog horror novel. I love it. He does <laughs> he does really quirky, funny horror. Yeah, that's a good one. So good. And then speaking of award winners, The Only Harmless Great Thing by Brooke Bollander, which just won a Nebula, is up for novella here as well. So there's a lot of authors you'll probably recognize, a lot of interesting looking works, definitely worth checking out. Then we'll just have to wait until July to see who takes home the actual award. I wonder and if it's, that's a- interesting that that was, that's nominated for novella here and it won under novelette. For yeah. the definitions between novella and novelette are really obscure to me, and I have I have looked them up more than once and been like, oh, now I understand this, and then and then something like this happens, and I'm like, nope, I don't understand it at all. I don't know. I think every I, my feeling is is that every committee uses their own definition, and the rest of us just have to be like, it's short, like the, like the the definition is it's not a full length novel. It's just short longer than a short story exactly longer than a short story shorter than a novel novel. somewhere in there (laughs) all right and this concludes our news hour (laughs) let's talk about our next sponsor before we get on to our picks excellent um and this sponsor is gather the fortunes by brian camp published by howden mifflin harcourt In this book, Camp returns to his otherworldly New Orleans for a new novel that evokes the magic, mystery, and mythology of Neil Gaiman's American Gods, but with a female protagonist that calls to mind the power and personality of Chuck Wendig's Miriam Black of Blackbirds. 
Is it one of the storm gods that's descended on the city? The death god who's locked the gates of the underworld? Or the manipulative sorcerer who also cheated death? When she finds the schemer, there's going to be hell to pay because there are scarier things than death in the Crescent City. Renaissance Reigns is one of them. This is a fantasy, literary, mystery, fiction crossover title that will be interesting to lovers of intellectually complex literary novels while containing the action and intricate plot beloved of fantasy and mystery fiction readers. It's a real genre hybrid. While many works of urban fantasy are inspired by a singular mythological source or create a supernatural world of their own device, Gather the Fortunes draws on the wealth of world mythology and presents a worldview of a single evolving world culture. So again, that is Gather the Fortunes by Brian Camp from Howden Mifflin Harcourt, and we thank them for sponsoring. All right. Um, so you picked today's topic. I did. You gave me lots and lots of options. Uh, and this one jumped out at me just because right away off the top of my head, I knew the first book I wanted to talk about. Um, and I am never going to turn down an opportunity to talk about this book <laughs> because I, I enjoyed it so much. And I feel like it's just such a unique thing. Uh, and that book is Ball Lightning by Sixin Lu, and it's a 2004 Chinese sci-fi novel, but it came out in an English translation by Joel Martinson last year, and I actually reviewed it on all the books, and it's it still remains one of my favorite reads. Um, it's, it's hard sci-fi at least according to what we knew about the phenomenon of ball lightning in 2004, which wasn't actually that much. And we don't know much more now, like hmm. 15 years later. Uh, you can really go down a rabbit hole looking up ball lightning on, on Wikipedia. It's, it's this mysterious, spherical, as the name suggests, electrical object that can float through walls, leaving some substances unharmed and others totally incinerated. And it's it operates by seemingly arbitrary rules. And in this book, characters are all about weaponizing it. So so this is a really interesting look at the weapons research side of of the military, which is something that I don't think you you see too often no. in in any kind of fiction. Um, so you, it it follows Dr. Chen, who, as a young child, witnessed his parents' deaths at the hand of of ball lightning and it's something that he has spent the the whole of his adolescence and adulthood researching and trying to figure out and and it's it's become something of an obsession for him because of this this early formative experience of its destructive power, but also because one of the very last things his father told him was that the the key to a good life is finding something to be fascinated by and devoting yourself to it. So this this pursuit is intensely personal for Dr. Chen. And he comes across a a young soldier who is also a scientist, and she is absolutely obsessed in, in a similar way with weaponry, and not just any kind of conventional weaponry, but unusual things like, is there a way to weaponize bees, for example? <laughs> not the bees! <laughs> not the bees. I mean, like, maybe they're disappearing because military <gasps> I'm not even going to go down plot that twist, road. Plot <laughs> twist. <laughs> but um, but she's, she's really invested in 
weapons research, not necessarily so that so that China in in this this sci-fi world ends up beating all of its enemies, but but for the weapons themselves alone, like that is something that she is super super into in a kind of scary way. And she approaches Dr. Chen and says, I want to make lightning weapons, not just any kind of lightning weapons, but ball lightning weapons. And at first he's just like, oh, weapons make me really uncomfortable. I don't want to, to see my research turn to, into any kind of means of killing anybody. And, and it's, really interesting to watch him change from a person who feels that way into a person who's like yeah let's 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 weaponize this stuff uh because as as is the case in real life a lot of times military research weapons research it's it's the only way to get any kind of funding and make any kind of progress on scientific questions. And this book does a really excellent job of, of presenting the, the scientific process. And in some ways, it might be a slow read because you watch characters develop hypotheses and then test those hypotheses and then refine their hypotheses based on the results of their experiments. Um, there, there isn't right away at the beginning a eureka moment, and then it, there, it, it shows how, how plotting research can be. And it's, it's something that, that I think you, you have to go into it knowing that it's going to be a little bit of a, of a slow burn that way. And you may have been familiar with this author, Cecil Liu, because he wrote the Three Body Problem. Yes, and that trilogy. Oh, so good. Mm-hmm. Um, but but like you read that. How did you feel about that trilogy? Yeah, I I was just thinking. It sounds to me similar to my experience with Three Body Problem, which is that it's work. Like I had to work for it, but it was worth it. Um, I'm not so good at the the mathy side of things, and so and Three Body Problem had so much math yeah. in it. So much math. It's crazy for something so fantastic to be such hard science. <laughs> yes, yes. And but which is I think a strength of the book, honestly. Yeah, like yeah. and I just I am willing to just go along for the ride and trust that it's gonna get somewhere yeah. and that and, and it will you, be worth it. And I think it was. And it sounds like this is a similar Yeah, and, and towards the end there's another part where you just really have to you really have to trust because there's <laughs> there's this long section towards the end where you've got a character telling a story about a character who's telling a story about a character who's telling a story. <laughs> so, so there's like, a, there's this like nesting doll that you just got to make sure you can, you can keep track of who's saying what and right. what's happening. Uh, but it's, it's a really worthwhile book and, and watching Dr. Chen go from someone who is, who is scared of weapons research and then really into weapons research and then to see where he goes from there it's it's an interesting journey and and totally worthwhile that's ball lightning by Sisin Liu yeah you don't see that sort of military research side of things very yeah. often I don't think it's usually like war like we're in war and we're battling and whatnot and we've got laser weapons or whatever but that's very interesting it, it reminds me of a book that's that's on my ambivalence pile <laughs> I haven't gotten to yet it's called The Cassandra by Sharma Shields have you heard of this book? Yes and it is it is actually on like my physical ambivalence <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got the hard copy of it like in a in a stack on my bookshelves but yeah that's it's um it's set during like world war ii atomic research stuff right yeah and the main character is uh goes to work in this facility that's developing she doesn't know what they're developing but you kind of know that they're developing the atomic bomb and and she's she's clairvoyant like she has vision so it's a little bit of that uh cassandra of troy but put Ah, in the atomic so i'm guessing nobody listens to her (laughs) i i can only imagine (laughs) i have not read it yet but my bet is no no, I bet, and I bet it's that nobody listens to her. But anyway, that makes me want to read that now more because it's so true. We don't see that side of things yeah. very often. Yeah. So when I was thinking, I mean, there's so much military 
stuff in sci-fi and fantasy. And when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about soldiers because that's kind of where my brain goes first when I think about military sci-fi and fantasy. And then I was thinking about Ancillary Justice by the by Anne Leckie, who is a multiple award winner herself. And it's the first in the Imperial Ratch series, which is done. It's all done. You can read the whole thing. So that's good. And... It's so interesting because this is a character who is has sort of been part of a military structure and is now adrift and trying to figure out what has happened. So the main character, Breck, has been like a spaceship that's also part of a hive mind military force, including, you know, human soldiers, but they all are under her sort of mental command and she in turn is under the command of her captain, I want to say, but some military ranking officer. And that captain slash ranking officer has been killed and Breck has through treachery and backstabbery has been reduced to one soldier's body as it were so once this you know this artificial intelligence that once inhabited a starship and you know hundreds of thousands of soldiers potentially and could be in many places at once with no problem and is used to having all of those inputs is now contained in one frail human body and is on like a revenge mission like her goal is to find out how this has happened and to take revenge for her ranking officer who she like in in her own way came to love and it's a really interesting book because it is an artificial intelligence story and it is clearly like a military structure story and if you think about it like the military as it as we have it in our world is not unlike a hive mind like you're Mm -hmm. supposed to you know obey orders there's strict hierarchy you're supposed to move with one objective all that stuff so this is just kind of taking that up a notch but then what happens when you're ejected from it and adrift and trying to figure out like what is it that has happened to you and what do you do now with yourself when you're used to this very specific structure So it's a really interesting twist on it. And Breck is an amazing character. So snarky about humans. Like gender obviously is not super important when you're a spaceship. Um, (laughs) And the culture, right? Like, and the the sort of culture that Breck has been immersed in generally uses female pronouns as a default. And Breck knows that she's really bad at identifying gender in humans and just kind of doesn't care. She's like, whatever, I don't care. Um, And like things like that, like just her disregard for sort of the mechanics and like niceties of being human is really hilarious and refreshing and then also very serious because you know she's trying to figure out this murder and it turns into this much bigger political plot and unfolds over the course of the rest of the series but it's really i really love this series and i definitely highly recommend it so again that's ancillary justice by Anne leckie you aren't the first person who's told me I should read that. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Jonathan has read that. And, oh. and he's, like, been nudging me, which I, I feel a little bad about because I am constantly putting books on his ambivalence list. It's right. like, you got to read this. You got to read this. And he, bless him, he follows through. And I just have so many books. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, he'll give me a recommendation. I'll be like, okay, I'll, I'll, it's in line now. Thank you for your, <laughs> for your suggestion. But... But I don't know, this 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 might bump it up. Well, I yeah, I mean I will not tell him, uh, first of all <laughs> if this is the reason he can think it's all his I'll own. I'll be like, doing. hey, I finally read this and I'll be like, Oh yay, it was yeah. all me. But I think you would dig it if you are into that kind of fish out of water slash artificial intelligence yeah, scenario. It's, oh it's, man, it sounds it sounds a, like interestingly claustrophobic to see a a hive mind military structure spaceship compressed into one f- frail human body. That is a really good way to put it. That is a really good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Well, my next pick is also about soldiers. Uh, let's let's move along into the fantasy mm-hmm. side of things. And I right away thought of I thought of Terry Pratchett's Discworld series. Um, and there are probably maybe a few of you out there who've heard of <laughs> Terry Pratchett's Discworld. Um, oh man, it's just it's just this massive, massive series. And I know lots of people will start out with one section of it and just kind of live there. So so people will will read all of the 
books about the the wizards of the Discworld, or they will read about the the witches of the Discworld, or there's there are also a few great books specifically about Death, who is this anthropomorphized skeleton with the, the scythe, the whole the whole deal, mm. and and a granddaughter. It's you'll have to read it. Um, but there are also a lot of uh, a lot of books about. Uh, Ankmore Pork City Watch. They're this police force in the biggest city of the Discworld who are quite often pressed into military service. And and I was thinking a lot about the books that they feature in until I remembered that there is an actual, like, mostly standalone Discworld book about soldiers. Honest to goodness, they enlisted and they are off doing their soldierly business. And it is called Monstrous Regiment. And this book is is all about Polly. Polly is a teenager who works in her father's pub. And she is she is just going about her business thinking that when she grows up according to the the rights of inheritance here her her brother is going to be the one to inherit the bar but he is content to let Polly run things and she's quite happy with that arrangement too the only problem is that her brother was conscripted and now he is missing in action and if it turns out that he is dead or if he remains missing then Polly will will lose lose this pub she won't have any any way of supporting herself in the future so as an inventive really assertive brave kind of of person very practical she cuts her her blonde locks off she puts on some pants and climbs out a window runs off to the nearest recruiting party and enlists in the military and in her country there's been this war going on for the longest time with a neighboring country they've established that a river is the the boundary line between their two countries but the course of the river keeps on changing (laughs) just you know and and so of course people say well this used to be your country but now this is part of our country and conflict ensues they they fight over that but but mostly they also fight just because it's what these these two countries have always done um and and Polly isn't necessarily invested in that conflict. She isn't even necessarily invested in, in her country all that much. It's a theocracy, and the god who's been making all the rules is increasingly erratic in the things that he says are abominations. Mm. And it's like a little much to keep track of, and lots of people end up just ignoring it. But it's getting ridiculous. And and she, Polly just doesn't care so much about any of that macro stuff. She just wants to track down her brother and she hopes that as a a disguised woman in the army she's going to be able to locate him bring him back home look after him so that they all can grow up and she can she can just have a happy life running this this pub that her brother owns in name and uh, she she does a really great job of passing herself off as a boy, and she thinks that she's got everything down pat until one one night in the in the latrines, someone in the next stall over passes her some a wadded up roll of socks and says, "You're you're doing great, but." you better stick this down your pants if you don't want anyone to get suspicious. <laughs> You're just missing a, a, a little part of, of this whole getup. And she realizes that, that she, at least one person knows that she's a girl and that she may not be the only girl in the army. And so with, with Terry Pratchett, you are guaranteed to get satire here and that means it's going to be hilarious but it's there's also going to be some biting commentary and his his target here is war 
military culture, imperialism, sexism, but it's it's also hilarious and and people will say things like the battlefield is no place for a woman and you're just like there are so many women here and you mm-hmm. don't even know. <laughs> um and and one of the things that I also enjoy about this is that it gets its title from uh this Scottish Protestant reformer John Knox, who in 1588 wrote this pamphlet called The First Blast of the Trumpet Against the Monstrous Regimen of Women, (laughs) which was basically like, I am so sick and tired of all of the women who think that they can rule England. (laughs) And and this is is a tongue-in-cheek allusion to that because you have an actual like regiment and they are monstrous in the fact that they they include a like a, a vampire and a troll and and stuff but also they 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 have some ladies among them and it's it's an interesting look at all of the aspects about war especially the idea that it is purely a, a masculine pursuit that is the monstrous regiment by terry pratchett I love that it's named after that John. <laughs> he was the worst. And I also love to hear about another standalone in the Discworld series. Sharifa finally got me reading them last year. And I'm not sorry. I'm not sad. It's very fun. But I've mostly been reading the Granny Weatherwax books, which are very enjoyable. But I'm, I'm, I am happy to hear about another standalone option in there. So Yeah, it's, it's an unconventional one if it's going to be your first Discworld book. But it's, it can be a really daunting yeah. uh, world to jump into. And, and this is a very doable spot to take that leap. Yeah, I appreciate that. All right, let's see. So my fantasy is, my fantasy pick is a book about a soldier in a war. Like 100% that is almost all this book is about is about a young man named Tao who grows up in this world where his people, the Omehi, have, were in the opening scene, you see them like a few hundred years in the past fleeing from their homeland for, you know, you don't know exactly why, but you know it's very bad. And they come to this new land where they think they're going to stay, but the current inhabitants are not so interested in letting them in. And there's a big battle and and the Omehi have dragons, so they make it work. And they <laughs> then, you know, fast forward to when Tao is around and they're still fighting against the original inhabitants of this land, but they've carved out some space. It's this eternal war. And so most of the politics and the cultural structure is is revolving around this war. And his father is a lower caste person who is in charge of training troops. And there is a really intense caste system in this book. Like people from upper castes are bigger and faster and, you know, theoretically smarter, although the jury's out on that. And Tao is half caste. His mother was of a higher caste than his father, but he lives with his father and is generally, you know, confined to the lower castes. And, and he doesn't really want anything to do with it. He gets you know, drafted into his first battle and it goes horribly. It's terrifying. He kills somebody and he feels awful about it, even though he knows he was defending himself and he wants nothing to do with it. He wants to marry the girl he has a crush on and maybe have some babies and do some farming or something like the last thing he wants is to be a soldier. And he's sort of plotting on how to get out of this when... I'm trying to like refrain from spoiling things <laughs> when some some very sad things happen and people die and he gets pushed instead on this quest for revenge. And the only way he thinks he can get this revenge is by turning himself into the ultimate fighter. He's going to make himself into a living weapon and like train and do everything he can do to get to the point where he thinks he can take on the people who have destroyed his life. And so, and, and I think in a lot of traditional fantasy of this kind, you see like maybe this, this past is referenced from a hero, but they're now at like hero level, or you get a little bit of this and then it's fast forward to them, you know, having achieved their goals or about to, you know, have that duel. But instead with this one, you are with him every step of the way, like 
you know, training montage and, you know, fight, getting up early and, you know, staying late on the pitch. Like you can and, just hear Eye of the Tiger. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's very, I was like, Eye of the Tiger playing. Yes, exactly. So you get all like one painful step after the next of him trying to beat the odds and, and go against his natural inclinations to turn himself into this living weapon. And I think it, it reminded me in a certain way of Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss in that you're getting this, you know, this really close in micro view of the process it takes to go from, you know, the origins to the the legendary status. And 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 I think I don't know that it will be for everyone. It is a bit of a slow burn, although there's plenty of fights and action sequences because it is a war novel. But I, I think it's really interesting to see that sort of step-by-step process. And the other thing that's interesting about this book is that the author, Evan Winter, is an author of color and writes about his inspiration for this as, you know, he is not used to getting to see himself in his favorite sci-fi and fantasy. And and he has a son. And so really he was like, well, I would like my son to get to read reflections of himself in this genre. So I'm going to write one. Um, and so it's a really, you know, strong impetus to write that. And you do see, I think the African influences in particular on the world building in this. So there's some really intricate world building. And if a thing you like in fantasy is to kind of roll around in a world and just like see all the little bits and pieces, you're definitely going to get that. So this is, you know, the bones of it are very like pre-industrial military fantasy, but it's got some interesting tweaks to it. And I think I think a lot of people will really get into it. It is the first in a series. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. <laughs> and it just came out. So it's probably going to be a while before we get the next installments. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But, you know... I'm just I'm just here to tell you you can make up your own mind about what you're willing to risk. So again, that is the Rage of Dragons by Evan Winter. And that's our show. Yay! Huzzah. Um, Maria Christina, thank you so much for coming on the show and picking thank this you topic. For having me. Always a delight. Uh, thank you all for listening. And if you have thoughts about military sci-fi and fantasy or comments or other theme ideas, please please do shoot us an email at sffyeah at bookriot.com. Always happy to see the feedback. And speaking of feedback, you can also review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other folks to find the show as well. And you can find us online. In the meantime, I am on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL, and Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And what about you? I am mostly on Twitter these days as Meowy Christina, M-E-O-W-Y-C-R-I-S-T-I-N-A. Awesome. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.